0: Please join me in taking out your Bibles and not turning to Psalms, but rather to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we prayed that You would hear us. And now, Father, we pray that You would speak to us. You would speak to us through your word and by your spirit. Father, we desire to know you and your ways. We desire with the Spirit's help to more and more become like our Savior. And so, Father, be pleased to use your word as applied by your spirit to change your people. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're resuming our series picking up where we last left off back on June the 9th uh, when we were in Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. This is a series entitled Looking Back at Our History and Moving Forward in Our Mission and Exposition of the Book of Acts. Now, why Acts? Why is the Book of Acts in the Bible? Have you ever asked that question or just, it's just there? Well, as you know, the Bible, children help me out, can be summed up like this Promises made and promises kept. And the Bible is all about Jesus. He says that uh, when he speaks, the resurrected Jesus uh, says that to those on the road, to Emmaus, and also to his disciples after his resurrection. It's all about Jesus. And so the Old Testament is Jesus predicted. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's Jesus revealed. And in Acts, it's Jesus preached. In the epistles or the letters, it's Jesus explained. And in Revelation, it's Jesus expected. Well, why Acts? Well, literarily, in your Bible, it provides a transition between the four Gospels and the epistles to the churches and to individuals. Historically, it. Records the history of the establishment and expansion of the church, in particular, the history of the mission of the early church. It provides a background to the letters. And practically, the book of Acts, like all scripture, edifies believers. It strengthens our faith. And in particular, it strengthens our faith by showing that Christianity is grounded in the acts of God in history. To show that the gospel proclaimed then is the same gospel proclaimed now. Acts, as I mentioned, is the bridge between the four gospels and the rest of the New Testament. Written somewhere around sixty to sixty-two A.D., twenty-eight chapters, 100 and, excuse me, a thousand and seven verses. If you sat down, you could read Acts beginning to end in about two and a half hours. It's written by Luke. And children, what other book did Luke write? Luke, right. Acts is volume two of Luke. And it's interesting that a Gentile, a non-Jew, wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else when you look at Luke and Acts. And he announces right at the beginning of Acts his purpose. It's an orderly account in order to give certainty. It's not less than historical truth, but it's much more. It's to inform faith, to strengthen faith. Because again, Christianity is not just some belief out there. It's grounded in the acts of God in history. It's about, at its heart, what God does. Acts is about proclaiming good news, not offering good advice. You can see Acts structurally, personally, around Peter and Paul. Geographically, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You can see it demographically, first Jews, then Gentiles. And you can see it progressively, as Luke includes progress reports, as the word spreads. Now, we've got to think about the title of the book as well. Um, Some say Acts of the Apostles. And that's a good title. Uh, it, It might provide too much emphasis on the human. So then you say Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's good and accurate, but maybe that shows a little bit much emphasis on the divine. Those of you with us in the early part of the series may remember this comprehensive title. It's a bit cumbersome, but it's comprehensive. The Acts of the Exalted Christ by the Holy Spirit in the Church, founded by Him through the Apostles. Acts is a selective record of all that Jesus continues to do and teach, now by the Holy Spirit in the church, founded by Him through the apostles. It's helping us understand that the historical Jesus and the contemporary Jesus, as it were, are one in the same. Now, we need to move into our text for today, and I want to begin by uh, noting that we've all used these words, cliches, buzzwords, cliches like a can of worms, a ballpark figure, pay through the nose, and buzzwords like empower, facilitate, integrated, robust, just to name a few. Well, not only do we use them, but we probably tend at times to overuse these buzzwords, and one such buzzword that I think is overused in our day and age that comes to mind is the word dynamic. The word dynamic. You may be familiar with an advertisement for a church along these lines. Come and visit us where you will find dynamic worship, dynamic programs, dynamic preaching, dynamic teaching, dynamic people. Now a good definition of the word dynamic is this marked by continuous productive activity and change. And indeed, in such a church advertised and marketed like that, that's all you see. A lot of activity, a whirl of activity, things that are constantly changing. But is it activity and change that honors God and reflects what God has revealed in His Word? Does its productivity line up with how God defines productivity in His Word? Well, today we are at number 14 in our series from the book of Acts. The church, as Luke is describing it here in Acts, is without question a dynamic church For it's in the midst of a period of active development, growth, and change. And today is the next installment of our look at the first church plant. Truly a dynamic church from the word go. As we've already been seeing, things are happening in the church. Now Acts chapter 5 verses 12 through 16 is the third summary, the third overview that Luke gives of the early church. The the first two we've already seen, Acts 2, 42 through 47, and Acts 4, 32 through 37. And those both have to do with the inner life of the church. And and these summaries cause us to stop and, and ask ourselves, what exactly is going on in the church? And when we saw that summary in Acts 2, it was what in the world is the church? And we came to the conclusion that the church is a community of people who worship God and welcome one another. Sound familiar? The church is a community of people who worship God and welcome one another. And then in our second summary, Acts 4, 32-37, we saw that the church is about life together. There was a unity of heart and a generosity of hand. You see, the church is united in heart and generous in hand to one another and to others. And today is this third summary, this overview of life in the early church that Luke provides. Join me. Join with me now as I read our verses 12 through 16. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This summary concerns the outer life of the church, specifically the impact that the apostles were having on those on the outside. They, that is the apostles, are leading a dynamic church. And today we're going to take a look at two significant church dynamics but before we do let's look once again at the event that immediately precedes this summary it's a review of verses 1 through 11 remember the great pretenders Ananias and Sapphira in the words of the platters oh yes we're the great pretenders pretending to be spiritually something that they were not, instead of seeking to be rather than to seem, they were seeking to seem rather than to be. Instead of actually being super generous, they were really struggling with pride and materialism. The sin, as you may recall, was not failing to give all. The sin was lying. It was hypocrisy. It was lying to God. It was failing to repent. Now, this is an instance, as we saw, of sudden death, immediate judgment. What are we to make of this story of church discipline? What are we to make of this time of both great grace and great fear? To be sure, it is extraordinary, but it signifies our need to adjust or readjust to God, not the other way around. Reminds me of the time I was eating in the early days of the church with a friend, downtown Covington, and he made this interesting statement. He said, you know, whenever I come to something in the Bible that certainly contradicts what I believe or think or do, he said, one of us has to change. So what is our approach to the Bible? Is it from above where we impose on God's Word, or is it from below, as it were, in an attitude of openness and humility? Is our view of sin the same as God's view of sin? You see, this passage that we looked at the last time calls us to take an honest look at our lives and ask a simple penetrating question. Am I trying outwardly or subtly, inwardly, To make myself appear to be what I am not. It calls us also to take an honest look at Jesus. Is Jesus the one who he says he is? Do we believe that he's the one who will one day come to judge the living and the dead? Do we also believe, however, and this is so important. That Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Including those of us who are great pretenders. Because the good news about Jesus is, He is not the great pretender. He is everything He said He is. And that is good news for people like us. Now we need to get to the church dynamics, but before that, before those things that are are at the center of our text... We need to consider the context of Luke's observations about the church's relationship to those on the outside. I want to look at the context for a brief moment. Many signs and wonders. Many signs and wonders. It's an answer to prayer. If you look back at chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, the people had prayed. They had prayed to be bold in the face of threats. And that God could confirm His gospel through signs and wonders and healings. They believed they were called to speak. And they needed God to authenticate, to put His seal of approval, as it were, on their speech. We read of them doing these signs and wonders by the hands of the apostles, uh, through the hands. Uh, They aren't the source, but they are the means that God has chosen. Now, these signs and wonders are being done in a public gathering in Solomon's portico, a covered walkway of the temple, all together. Now, what does that mean? Some debate, is it the apostles and other believers, or is it just just the apostles? Now, there's a summary of the many signs and wonders. Uh, Notice, those of you that are familiar with the Bible, that At various times in the Scriptures, you'll hear signs and wonders, signs and wonders. It's Moses, as we heard in our Old Testament reading. It's Elijah and Elisha, the prophets. It's around the earthly ministry of Jesus, and now with the apostles. Again, around the ministry of Moses, there were many signs and wonders done by the Lord through Moses. In Luke chapter 6, we read of Jesus... Who, after he called the apostles, Luke interestingly turns and speaks about Jesus with the crowds. And he says, power came out from him and healed them all. Here in Acts 5, we see a remarkable demonstration of the power of God to both heal and free human beings. As the Ananias and Sapphira episode before was one of God's power to judge. These signs, these, these many signs and wonders are, are pointing to something. They underscore. They, in other words, they put the yellow highlighter, they put the bold font on the, the news that God is at work. You see, the miracles that we see here are pointing, they're a picture of the complete healing, in other words, the salvation that God provides through Jesus Christ. It's, it's his ministry of redemption. It's more than forgiveness. It leads to restoration, not only here of health, but one day the new heavens and the new earth are restored home. Now, we get to what I believe is the focus of the passage, that being two dynamics that are at work in the church. Now, if you were listening closely when the text was read, you may have heard something that seems a bit contradictory. In two short verses, we are told that when it comes to the church, there are people both not joining as well as people who are joining. People who are both staying out and people who are coming in. Now, what is going on here? Is Luke contradicting himself? Well, let's find out. Let's take a look at church dynamic number one, people staying out. We read in verse 13, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. People are unwilling to join, but they're nonetheless holding the church in a respectful position. Now, we got to ask a few questions before we begin. Who are the rest? There's some debate that I believe it, it primarily refers to those outside the church. Now, why would they dare not join? In a word, the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira. Look at chapter 5, verses 5 and 11. And great fear, we read. And great fear came upon all who heard it. And then 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. They're afraid, lest half-hearted allegiance would lead somehow to judgment. They, they shy away from a call to commitment and life-threatening holiness. They are not prepared to surrender to Jesus's heart-searching holiness. The rest are staying out. But who are the people? Again, I believe it's those who are outside the church. And why they nonetheless, why they don't join as it were, they nonetheless respect the church. They hold it in high esteem and you see, they can't ignore what's going on. They, they've heard and they've seen of Ananias and Sapphira. They see the healings that are taking place. Even the shadow of Peter is causing a miraculous healing. They can't help but notice it, and they respect it. They're impressed. At this time, remember, the Jews think that this is just a subset of Judaism. It's not full-blown Christianity, as it were. Now, what's been your experience? Do you have friends or family members who who respect you, but they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus? You know, if we have family members and friends who, who respect us, who respect the church, and by the way, in 2019, if you haven't figured out, it's less and less and less and less than it was, but there may be some people who still... From a distance, admire the church. Respect the church. My friends, what an opportunity to share with them. It's an open door to talk about Jesus and His work, His life, His death, His resurrection. The church does have a reputation in the community. The church can and should be in some respects respected in the community. But to be sure... The church alienates some people. Why? It's an exclusive claim that Jesus is the only way for salvation. Some people are just intimidated by the church. They're threatened by the church. And some people will actually be hostile to the church. And we see that not so much in the United States yet, but we see that throughout the world. Hostility to the church. But... It's a good question to ask ourselves. If we weren't here, would people miss us? If we weren't here, would the community around us notice that the presence of the church is no longer here? You see, people could not ignore the church as we read in Acts chapter 5. We see that there are those on the outside who don't dare join the church. And yet, before we can even take a breath, we learn that there are those also on the outside who are joining them. So here we go to church dynamic number two. People coming in. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, people willing and able or willing and enabled to join. But notice the text really says that, that people didn't join, but they were added it, Joining is like an active decision, but here they were added. It's almost passive. It's again a a, um, highlight that it's the Lord at work. It's the Lord who's working. And added to the Lord, not immediately to the church, but to the Lord in union with Christ. But that leads, of course, to union and communion with His church. Notice the expression, more than ever, multitudes. Luke is careful choosing his words, but he can't even number the people. And Luke, if you recall, is good with numbers, both in Luke's Gospel and in Acts. In chapter 2, he talks about, what, 3,000 people? In in Acts chapter uh, 4, 5,000 people? Now all he can say is multitudes. And what are they doing? Verses 15 and 16 say that they are bringing friends to the apostles. They're bringing friends, in other words, to Jesus. Turn with me, if you would, back to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, where I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. And he, that is Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of all their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. Isn't it interesting? People who once flocked to Jesus now flock to His apostles. You see, Jesus is at work in both cases. Both formerly in the flesh and now in the Spirit. And we notice in our text that the kingdom of God is now beginning to spill out over the walls of Jerusalem. Here, is church dynamics. Conflicting reactions to the Spirit's presence in the church. Jesus, again, had the same response to His ministry. Remember the New Testament reading? The crowds of people begged Jesus to go away. The man who was healed begged to go with Jesus. In Luke 5, Jesus calls Peter. And you know what Peter's first response is? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But then later on in the chapter, you find Peter following Jesus. You see, the gospel, the good news about Jesus is an aroma, is a fragrance of Christ that is both death to some and life to to others as Paul writes the church in Corinth that for some the fragrance the aroma of Jesus is is death to death for some and life to life for others. When it comes to Jesus some people keep their distance, we all know that, but others are drawn closer. You see when it comes to Jesus there is a paradoxical a paradoxical combination of fear on the one hand and desire on the other. Children, imagine a magnet. You know how a magnet works, right? You have a magnet one way, and what happens? It repels. You have a magnet the other way, and what happens? It attracts. How that magnet works is invisible to the eye, isn't it? But what is not invisible are the effects. You see it repelling. You see it attracting. And that's the way it is with the gospel. John Stott says this, The presence of the living God, whether manifest through preaching or miracles or both, is alarming to some and appealing to others. Some are frightened away while others are drawn to faith. Now, next week, we'll look at another church dynamic. Those who are on the outside who are also not willing to join. But instead of just keeping their distance and being respectful, they are hostile. You see, the Jewish leaders see what's happening. There's growing attention being given to the followers of Jesus, growing influence of the apostles. And they see that as dangerous. And we will see them take action. Now, if they were threatened by the healing, uh, as we will see next week, of one man, how about the healing of many? The church is not static. It's dynamic. There's a period we're seeing in acts of active development, of growth and change, with people both staying away from the church and people coming to the church. Now, this summary comes on the heels of an extraordinary instance of church discipline. And what was the result? What was the result of great fear coming upon the people, the church, and others? What's the result? Church unity, purity, and growth through evangelism in word and in deed. You see, unbelievers are and really should be afraid to join the church. Now, the church should be welcoming, gracious, kind, merciful. But in terms of an unbeliever thinking about God, they should be afraid to join the church. But believers, people who have been truly converted, they can't help but come to the church. Why? Because they are united to Christ by faith and to others who are united to Christ by faith. You see, the dominant note of this passage is that more and more multitudes are coming to faith, being added to the Lord, and as a result, they're being brought into the church. You may remember, I've used this church quote of the week a time or two, which says this, the church, according to scripture, is not a religious club. It's not a voluntary association. It's rather the institution of Christ and the Spirit formed by His power and governed by His Word. And we see that here. Formed by His power and governed by His Word. Well, We need to end with a couple of questions. Uh, First, how about you? When it comes to the gospel of grace, where are you? Are are you standing somewhat disinterested at a distance, not daring to draw near, or do you find yourself irresistibly being drawn in? Just in our adult Sunday school class, we heard of someone share that 10 years ago, people were sharing Christ with her, but she didn't understand, and now she does oh the faithfulness of god oh the persistence and perseverance of god so that's a question that we need to ask where are we and the second question is this how how about us as a church you see at the center at the core at the heart of a biblically dynamic church is the gospel the fundamental dynamic of the church the change agent is the gospel, it's the only source of true and lasting productive activity and change. You see, the gospel is both the anchor for us and it's the engine for us. So the question is this, are we going to be a dynamic church in our proclamation in word and demonstration in deed of the gospel? As we seek to be as it were, a dynamic church, let's be prepared for the reality that the gospel will alarm, frighten, and repel some people while at the same time attracting and, as it were, wooing others. May God be pleased to draw unnumbered multitudes to himself here in our area and may some of them find their way here to grace and peace. May God be pleased to do his work of calling people to himself through weak and frail people like us, people who trust in Jesus and find our strength, our hope, our confidence, our life in him. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this video clip from the early church that shows your spirit at work. Father, help us to grow in confidence that your word will not return void without accomplishing all that you ordained for it. Oh, Father, we long for people that we know, family and friends, to know Jesus, to to have their sins forgiven, to be assured of eternal and everlasting life. Father, would you be pleased to help us equip us to proclaim that one message? That there is life in Jesus. And Father, be help us to be prepared, to be rejected, to be thought of as strange and weird. For that's the story of your people through the centuries as well. Oh Father, be pleased. To help this church be and remain a dynamic church centered on the good news of salvation in Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. We respond.